0: In the past three months, a completely unknown disease has appeared in the UK. People get hot under the collar, maybe even a bit red in the face, get fixated on arbitrary deadlines and muttering about no deal.
1: I must say, it does sound a little odd.
0: More than a little. Well, I do know one thing. A new disease starts, people behave oddly, and you start this
2: podcast. And you think we did it? Oh, come off it, we haven't done a thing.
0: Hmm, that's us maybe. I don't know who you are, what you are, or where you come from, but you can get off the internet right now.
2: Yeah, well that
1: suits me fine. The sooner the better. No, Simon. We can't go yet. Well, why not? They don't want us here. Because there is something evil here, and we must stay. Evil? Don't be daft. Evil is what I meant. There are some corners of the Twitterverse which have bred the most terrible things, things which act against everything we believe in they must be fought this disease for instance it isn't really a disease at all but i can help you with it you'll see i'll find the cause for you will you indeed yes certainly i just need to examine a few things that's all this should be simple
0: well i'm not sure i'll i'll tell you what i'll do i'll give you just one feature film cycle to find the cause
2: feature what an
0: hour and a half
2: Well, why didn't you just say so? That's not very long.
0: It's all the time you're going to get. Then you get off the web, complete with this bloke here.
1: But you can't move, Paul. He's on holiday. We accept. Now tell me, you have recording equipment here, yes?
0: Yes. Evans was working on an audio project. It's all in here. It's quite a small unit. We're not equipped to deal with a full-scale podcast, you understand. Do you think you can manage? Yes, we're
1: down in numbers, so I think we can.
0: Right, well, I'll leave you to it. But
1: don't forget, an hour and a half. What are you going to do, Richard? Well, we're going to start with Moonbase and Smith & Jones. If enough people remember how much they love these stories, maybe they'll forget about the other thing. Listen, are you really a proper Doctor Who fan? Yes, I think I was once, Simon. I think I was a member of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. 1988, I think. Andrew Beach. Hold that microphone for me, will you? Hello and, and welcome to episode three of Something Who. That piece of music you just heard was Tipitina by Dr. John in honour of our listeners in Louisiana. Uh, certainly uh, one of the hotbeds of Something Who listening in the United States. Um, so thanks for uh, for downloading and uh, keep listening. Uh, this evening we've got Simon and we've got Giles joining us. Hello. Hello Richard, hello Louisiana, hello Giles.
0: Hello, Simon. Hello, Richard. Hello, Louisiana. Hello, Giles. Oh, hang on. No. Um, <laughs> are, we, are we really only on number three? I'm, I'm losing track.
1: Well, we we, we did. Um, we had episode two and a half a couple of weeks ago, um, essentially because all you lot were either on holiday or indisposed. And mm. uh, so I got a bit fed up. And, and so I invited uh, Tim to do something. But I couldn't really give it a, an even number because or a whole number. Because it, it didn't feel like the, the you know the, the the proper crew, but it was it was good fun, and we 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 knocked off another uh, another pairing, uh, including I think uh, Simon one of your uh, favourite stories, *Day of the Daleks*.
2: Yeah, that 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 was a great podcast, Richard. That really struck a chord of me. Um, that was the first complete Doctor Who story I watched back in back in the day the canal and the tunnel was always really iconic for me because I happened to go to a school that was next to the canal with a tunnel and a canal bridge just like that one so I was often <laughs> sneaking off when the teachers weren't looking and being surer and messing yeah. about that that used to be really good but no, I I really enjoyed Day of the Daleks um, you were talk, You had a sort of, I, I hate I hate the phrase you had that timey-wimey theme and you were looking back at other stories I just wondered if you thought Inferno fitted the bill as well for jumping around in time,
1: or don't parallel universes count? There, there certainly is something of that, isn't there Because we you sort of see the end of the of the world uh, in the parallel universe before it happens uh, in the real one. So yeah, yeah, there is something of that.
2: Yeah, I thought hmm. I thought perhaps you're a bit a tad harsh on the on the controller, but I think I think Day of the Daleks is definitely known as Day of the Three Daleks from now on in our household. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was. That was very wry. That was a that was. I mean, it's a fantastic unit story, but and you always hope for a massed unit shootout with with the Daleks, and uh, mm. they did the best, didn't they? But you could have done with a few more Daleks in
1: there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love that story, but 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 not really for the Daleks. I think it's. I love it for the for the plot and for the uh, you know some of the clever elements in it. Um, you know, and the, and the Daleks aren't terrible, but but yeah, they they. Um, not quite as menacing as you'd hope.
0: Mm. No, you could have done done it pretty much the same without the Daleks, and uh, I guess. But yes, it's one of those classic things where you kind of think, okay, well, it's terminated before its time, isn't it? Mm. Which Indeed. one did you? Which one did you play, Simon? Was it Volk or Schurer?
2: Schurer. <laughs> Ah,
0: ah, oh, right, wrong. No, sorry. Yes, okay. Not, not
2: to be muddled up with Shola in the Blondie song.
0: No spangly, no spangly hats involved. <laughs> no. I used to love, I
2: loved the Ogrons as well. They, they just, they just reminded me of school bullies and football hooligans. So, mm. they always, they always made me laugh.
1: Mm. Anyway, Simon, it, it's lovely to have you back after your uh, temporary hiatus, as we referred to it. So, uh, so it's, it's. Good to have you back on the podcast. No,
2: it's lovely to be back. I just thought I need to recharge my batteries after that superb job Giles did reviewing the Macretura, and then listening <laughs> listening to Paul Morris and Tim dissecting season three as well. I just need to refresh my batteries and go back and look at what we all enjoy and get the get the DVDs out and do a bit of reading and getting back into it really. So no, it's lovely to be back again. It's
0: nice to have you back.
1: And, Charles, uh, we heard stories um, uh, from Tim of, of, of you and uh, he and Paul chewing over the cud uh, uh, at the tavern the other, uh, what, about three or four weeks ago?
0: Um, yes. Well, if you, yeah. I'm not sure chewing the cud is the most appropriate metaphor. Doesn't it involve, like, vomiting and then redigesting it? Or something? <laughs> Actually, maybe, yes. When we talked about the Omni <laughs> Rumor, that sounds quite... Um... <laughs> maybe that is more appropriate than um, than we... Than we think. Yes, yes. It's been a, um, it's been a funny old month. I was, um, I was off in Belfast. I think at the time you were recording the last right. one. I was, uh, I was in Belfast, appearing on Mastermind.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yes, but I, uh, I can't tell you any more than that, or I'd have to kill
1: you. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, we did make an oblique reference to that in the uh, in the sketch last time. Ah, yes. For wow. the for the cogn- cognoscenti. I'm <laughs> tapping my nose for, for, for the benefit of those people who have only got the audio. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> or perhaps they'd have to kill John Humphreys. Yeah. Or Magnus Magnus. No, uh, no thank you. <laughs>
1: it's too late. Too, too late. Too late. Uh, okay, well, should we get down to the business of this evening, which is um, to look at uh, two stories. Uh, Moonbase, uh, the Patrick Troughton story from the original series, and then Smith & Jones, David Tennant story. Um, from the new series. So, Indeed. if we start with uh, Moonbase, so either of you want to you know, talk to me either about your memories of, of of Moonbase or or anything you know pertinent you picked up this time.
2: It, it'd been a little while since I'd watched it, and I was stunned by how good the Planet Fifty Five animation is. You can tell when animation's oh. good because it just seamlessly goes through the from the film version into animation and you don't notice the animation anymore. It's that good. The detailing on the, the Cybermen. Um mm. they captured all the human faces fantastically well including yeah. haircuts and things like that. Um <laughs> yeah. I'm I am i I'm so sorry to all the people that made it, but I was scathing about the, the Macro terror animation before but high praise here to, to Planet fifty five and and the job they did. It was absolutely stunning. I mm. don't know how you found it Charles
0: Yes, yeah, it's it's um it's a good way of watching this one, I think. Um, perhaps because it's a, it's quite a high contrast story anyway. I think with the moon setting and um and they've certainly done a very good job of kind of picking up on the kind of repeated shots and things that you do quite often get in this era of who as well. I think you know that mm. you get certain certain things like the sideman man fiddling with his knobs on the on the side <laughs> yes. of the ship and so on, and that's a Bit of a recurring motif, so they did their animated version of it as well. Mm. And I think because they go to that trouble of actually, um, it feels like one of these cases where they have gone to some trouble to kind of match the match the direction yes. of the of the existing of the existing episodes.
2: The, what what really struck me was where episode two ended with surviving film. And then mm-hmm. episode three starts the animation and almost seamlessly where the Cyberman jumps off the Medbay bed, <laughs> yes. that rocks in the same way in the animation as it did
1: in the it film. Did, and it? I thought
0: that's that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice touch, yes, definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean I I, I agree with you, Simon. I I I think the um, the animation is some of the most successful. I mean I think you 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 could perhaps say about the Macro Terror animation and perhaps the, the power and Shada ones that preceded it that they're they're more stylistic so 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 perhaps uh, they make more of a statement and they're and they're more you know of a thing in themselves but I think what I, what what you're right in saying about this animation is it's totally unobtrusive it really fits in with with the the, the film um, that we have from episodes two and four. Uh, it, uh, um, and and it, it feels like it's it, you know it's what would have been um on the, on the episodes 1 and 3 if we could have had them mm. probably probably sits very accurately with the telesnaps as well um so yeah it, it 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 feels like they've they've gone out of their way to make the thing that's missing and as you say the likenesses is a good uh, it, it, it 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 it's it's a it's a very easy watch
2: yeah my my first taste of it was the the target novel back in the day uh-huh. and um i mean the 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 chris Achilleos cover illustration is absolutely yeah. stunning that's that's one of my favorites and i was lucky enough to see some of the original artwork at the cartoon museum exhibition of target artwork and that was i was mesmerized by that so it's always held a special place for mm-hmm. me but what what really struck me was um back in 1975 i saw revenge of the cybermen mm-hmm. where um the Nova Beacon crew got struck down by the virus with the, their veins oh, glowing, yes. yeah. and then lo and behold, I got my hands on the Target novel later mm. on that year. And well, they were doing the same thing all those years ago, and that was that was just fantastic for me. Yes. The way they overlapped, and I, I thought that was great. And it, I, I loved the way they did it back in back in the 60s as well. That was very good. So it's a lovely slice of. Sci-fi. I I found the Cybermen in it really chilling as well. With that, you know, the using that virus to weaken the crew, and they're Mm. just thoroughly devious and nasty all the way through. The way, the way I think Cybermen should do, and not be sort of figures of fun as they're treated nowadays, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I quite like the uh, the Cybermen voices in this. I mean, I mean there is a, just a hint of a sort of the pub singer about them where they sort of go <laughs> moon bass. But but I mean, they I guess they had to do that in order to enunciate the words. But but yeah, that electronic sound it's uh, used here and also in Tomb. I think it's. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm quite a fan. Quite a fan of the of the Tenth Planet sing song voice as well. But uh, but yeah, I think this is perhaps. The, the best one they came up with in the 60s.
2: There was that scene as well where they, um, one of the sidemen takes, uh, he's almost taking the Mickey out of Hobson, you know, yeah, we yeah. don't have any emotions anymore.
1: Yeah. And then Hobson
2: mm. works out what they've done, and and the sideman goes, Clever! <laughs> I can't do the mm. voice, but clever! Yeah. Clever! Clever! <laughs> clever! <laughs> clever! <Yeah>. Clever!
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. It was like
2: a little Britain sketch, sketch almost. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, Sarcastic Cyberman Yes
0: Quote
2: on the sarcastic Cyberman Yeah well frankly You can imagine Williams writing something like that Couldn't you It was lovely going back to it It was one of the early Bases under siege stories And you you got You got a real I mean it was the moon And we all think we know the moon really well But it it does feel otherworldly when they go there, and mm-hmm. you had that nice claustrophobic feel to the base, you really felt, you know, it was uh, there was no air outside, and they were trapped in that base and exposed to danger, and it had, it had
1: good tension all the way through it. So I, I think it's a cracking story. So funny, funny you mentioned uh base under siege. I mean, the, the, mm. the title of the story is the Moon Base, and there's a there's a line in episode three where they say. We're under siege. I think I think it's Hobson who it says it. <laughs> so so I mean they couldn't be more about Under Siege <laughs> if it's right. Mm.
0: I think I was thinking, is it is this the first I don't know, and I suppose um, the tenth planet goes there to some extent. Yeah. But within considering we kind of think about it as the archetypal trouton format. And as as we described with you know, as as I think we discussed with Macra, Macra's a kind of enemy within story, mm. not really an under siege as such, no. and and power of the Daleks. I'm not sure it really counts as space under siege and but this is very much the archetypal one that kind of then sets it up that they'll Del Mix and you know, Vincent repeats you know, about mm. five times over I was listening to the you know, some of the details about how they commissioned and you know, you know, that one of the sort of requirements of the of the commission was to have a you know, like one large set and a number of smaller sets. Uh-huh. It was kind of obviously part of the spec for... I can't remember whether this was a Lime Grove um, production. A Lime Grove production. So this is what they thought they could... Um, what they thought they could fit into that space. Mm. But it's interesting what you were saying. Um, uh, as you know, some listeners may know, I'm, I'm a space nut. And, um, you know, that's mm. what I do for... Living. And obviously the um, the past few weeks have been, you know, we're, we're dangerously close to being topical here, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And um, and that sort of set set me off looking, because it's um, Ben's line about, oh, you know, I know what the moon looks like, because when they think they've landed on Mars um, at the start of episode one. Yeah. And it's interesting, and I thought, oh, I wonder. And, yeah, so this was... Um, in terms of the actual, you know, it's because all of these, I think all of these Light Tradden stories you have to appreciate in the context of the of the space race. And, when, you know, when you get to the seats of death, for instance, the idea that rockets are old hat, is, mm. it's, it's definitely being, you know, you can't view that outside of the Apollo fever that was going on at that time, just as they were, mm. you know, nearing the culmination of the of the moon program and actually getting you know getting a landing on the moon. Uh, and in this case, um, so I was looking and it was commissioned in late October sixty six apparently. Yeah. Um, and so they just had the first the first soft landing pictures that were actually sent back from the moon surfers were in fact sent okay. back sent back in sixty six. There was right. a couple came but came from one of the Russian probes in February and then then NASA managed to land its surveyor probe um, which was like the first, the you know, first dummy landing for the Apollos mm. um, in June '66. So that was really the first time you really had a sort of ground level panorama of what the moon did look like. So I wow. think they were they were definitely kind of keying into that growing interest.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I, I guess when it went out, it's it's just after the um, Apollo One tragedy, mm. um, and in that in that kind of hiatus before Apollo. Eight then goes round the, the the far side of the moon. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so so it's fascinating to see that they did actually have some reference material to go on.
0: Hmm.
1: Because certainly, it, you know, it, it feels um, you know what you see in it kind of quite similar to what to what um, you then get in the Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin pictures from two years later.
2: Hmm. That was the thing I always. You know, we we hold out help that missing episodes come back. But I I always wanted to see the crew doing that moonwalk from the TARDIS to the base. But hmm. it, it, that's hard to animate. I don't I, I don't know how well that compares against the original. But that that's something iconic. I always wanted to, you know, I always wanted to see. Hmm. Again, it, they seem to have done that. They've done that fairly well in the story. Um, the other, I'm a sad man that I am. In my mind's eye. The guns the Cybermen have—they always remind me of um, gas lighters, the sort of gas lighter used to light a barbecue or a mm. cooker. And they walk around with these rods in hands, but sometimes in close-ups when they actually kill someone, they've got like a inbuilt blaster in their arms. Mm. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. It, as well. Yeah,
1: it's it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because mm. in the earlier on in the story, there's there's the sort of electricity st- effect that comes out of their hands or. Something like that, mm, and, and which yes. which sort of zaps people and and they kind of get fall unconscious, and then later in the story they're blasting people with the with the guns and that sort of kills them outright. And it, it's not immediately well. I, I, I suppose um, they're wanting to zap the people that they're then going to take over to to to, um, to, to, uh, to you know take control of the Gravitron, but then they zap uh, Polly, um, which doesn't necessarily. Fit with that picture, so but maybe they don't want to to announce themselves too early.
2: Yeah, they probably left the cleverest person there behind, didn't they? In the film of Polly. Mm. <laughs> yes,
1: P- Polly's rather brilliant in this. I mean, I, I I must say I've missed the point of of um a uh, bit slightly. the last time I looked, at it. Uh, I mean, you know, Polly has. St- has a lot of the uh, good ideas like the the acetone might destroy the mm. Cybermen's chest units. And she does, I mean, yeah, you know, she does end up making quite a lot of coffee, but it, it seems to be more... She seems to be quite good-natured about it. It's, it doesn't feel like she's terribly put upon. And then when, uh, when Jamie and Ben... Uh, say to her, "Well, look, this is this is not woman's work. It's this is this is men's work. You know, killing the Cybermen. Not only does she protest about it, but actually she completely dis- disregards them and comes out and fights the Cybermen anyway. Mm. So she, yeah, she certainly doesn't put up with that uh, with that line. I, I, I think in previous I've sort of imagined that that she sort of sat and waited until they blasted them and then kind of joined them. But no, uh, the, the animation made clear that she was out there squirting with the best of them."
0: <laughs> there's no answer
2: to that yeah. <laughs> that's the thing as well going backwards and forwards um, with these podcasts between contemporary Doctor Who and back to the 60s it's very easy to forget you, you look at Series 11 and the likes of Yaz and Ryan they're really young guys but but so were Jamie and Polly and Ben mm. when they, they travelled around as well Cause you, because you go back to the 60s you just assume they're old but they're, they're all young they're all you know when you watched it go out in broadcast they were transmission they were probably all, they were probably all youths weren't they back in
1: the day yeah well mm. Fraser Hines is in his very early 20s uh, mm. for this uh, I don't know about Michael Craze. but yeah I mean they're, they're all going to be uh, I guess um, max 25 something like that
2: and it's nice as well we, we We've talked about Series 11 and how there's no threat and things seem to get miraculously sorted out. But there we are. We, we see the crew in the moon base improvising a solution and the Doctor's working out things. You can see him working out things as he goes along. And that's, that's really how I like my Doctor Who. They mm. get tossed into a difficult situation like that and they work things out as they go along.
1: Mm. But The thing I like about Moon Base is that it feels like it's a, it's a, it's a pretty simple story, but it's a simple story that's told well. So I mean there's 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 nothing very clever about it. There's nothing especially elegant or or um you know world uh, changing about it, but you know it's 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 a story about suspense, it's a story about a small group of people in a small area and it's a story about a menace that becomes more and more real as time goes on. And within those constraints it, fe- it feels to me that it, it, it delivers pretty well. I mean there 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 are some aspects of it um, you know, in 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 terms of, you know, the, there's the odd inconsistency. They, the the Cybermen blast a hole in in the in the base, which they seal with a tea tray. But it doesn't. It seems to me they could blast half a dozen holes in the base. Mm. They seem to give up with that quite 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 quickly because of one tea tray. But but I mean, you know, you put that to one side. Uh, 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 it seems to me, you know, a, a, a good example where they don't they don't try to do too much and they do it really well.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's um. It's true. I mean, in some ways, it's yeah. When the, they don't, they don't bother giving the Cybermen any, any incredibly complex motivation, other than they're back and they appear to want to destroy Earth. Presumably because they see it as a threat, or something. But um, but yes, yes. It, does, it doesn't really go into any great um. They don't get much motivation beyond we want to destroy the Earth. Um, but yes, no, I, I agree. It's it's well. The intentions are all good it's like the multinational crew for instance we take mm. the you know we we'd rather take the mickey out of it I think I think now because it's a you know a lot of English character actors putting on but yeah I guess for, I guess from the era it comes from it's um it's interesting harking back of course um the fact it's set in 2070 is that actually stated on screen or do we
2: yes it is yeah it
0: is hmm because they call would... the
2: doctor Rip Van Winkle, don't they?
0: Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, because obviously that would have been the, you know, given Ken- Kennedy's deadline to land by the end of the decade, and there was lots of talk about them going for, ni- you know, that it would be 1970 mm-hmm. by the time they landed, which would have still technically been have been the end of the de- the decade, and mm-hmm. uh, so it is like the centennial of of the moon anniversary of the moon landing.
1: As they, as they yeah. foresaw it at the time, sure yeah uh, so 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 the, the, that line you're talking about you know why are they killing everyone? side sidemen just say it's elimination of danger or something along those lines, so mm. yeah they they, they yeah I, I guess they've they've decided that the earth was a problem once, so that's it. we're just going to just destroy a lot of them, but it does seem to be a mm. slightly uh, over the top solution <laughs>
0: <laughs> particularly um, when they it's... could
1: convert maybe some of them
0: mm. It's I I find this yeah I I find it there, there's a lot of nice bits and pieces in there I I find that the the sexism thing is really yeah it's it's weird because it's so it it seems so blatant at times and yet they do they do also undercut it but they don't um they don't undercut it by having Polly actually stand up for herself and argue the toss. They they just undercut it occasionally by, you know, by by virtue of things that happen in the action. And one thing I noticed on that particular, I've got a, I've got a little list, as they say. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, one one one. No, funnily funnily enough, one thing I did notice was um, when Hobson gives them the ten cent tour after their arrival, um, and he's talking about you know, there's a bit of introduction of what what life is like on the on the on the moon base from day to day and there was a little bit of e- emphasis on the mundanity of space and that they you know that quite a few of the crew have to be odd job men as well yes um, yeah. and I noticed the, you know, the, the thing that I particularly noticed I thought oh that's funny is that it's actually Ben who is the first person who gets told to make the coffee um, in, episode, hmm. in episode one um, or at least he's told to, oh you can clear away these coffee cups
1: yeah
0: when he asks what when he asks how he how he can be helpful, and um, so I thought that was quite um, cute. But then there's it's it's hard to tell because the the bits of the bits of really blatant sexism that we see in the the surviving live action episodes, you don't see an enormously Arch reaction from uh, from Annika slash Polly, sort of you know deliberately lampooning it, even if it, you know even even if it's not. Visual, but then funny you know there's this there's there's another thing that i had in did in episode one about the um the whole thing about artificial day and night when they mm. go to the the night cycle as it were in the, yeah. in the in the sick in the sick bay area and the doctor the whole doctor poly exchange in that and' there's quite a lot of stuff where it, it's quite nicely they quite nicely um work work in the pseudoscience and and yeah. the actual science without it without it feeling absolutely sledgehammered, but then there's that, and it it feels like a it's a a is a bit of an example of stating the bleeding obvious. Yeah. And the doctor has the doctor has to absolutely spell it out. Yeah. So whether yeah. that is for the benefit of the six-year-olds in the audience, but then the uh, the funny thing is, and and it's one of those things where you do miss having the the actor's performance in an you know, by virtue of the fact we we've, we've got an animation, however good it is, it yes. can't become that that the, they have that whole exchange and then the doctor finishes it by saying, You wouldn't be making fun of me, would you, Polly? <laughs> to um, after she sort of played along with the whole thing of Yes of asking. And you think I wonder what I wonder how that played out Yeah. In in real. Is she is she acting dumb to give the doctor the chance to show off
1: it's a funny bit of exposition anyway isn't it because you know they go into they'll go to all this fuss of explaining the fact that they're on a 24 hour cycle uh, mm. um, you know day and night and then they don't ever actually use it again and it's then not it's, like it's, it's, then it's an important it's, plot pot.
0: no exactly because they say it's, it's um, it'll be daylight in the you know in the control room 24-7 um, yeah which is yeah uh, odd
1: hmm yeah, I mean I, I I presume that that you know, if if you're gonna give Polly's character um a, a, a sort of three line through all this, I, I, I presume that she's she's fighting the the battles that matter. So she stands up for the thing that you know, the fight in the Cybermen where she feels like um, you know, it's important that she's involved, and you know, she's she's maybe not that f- that fussed about the fact that she has to make a bit of coffee here and there. She, you know, somebody has to do it, and and uh, she's not doing anything else. So yeah, okay, she's not going to make too much of a fuss about it.
2: Mm-hmm. I thought yes. it's good. How just just as Joel said, how you know, she said. Sorry the the boys both said stand back this isn't a lady's job yet she was straight in there in the control room taking on a cyberman and, yeah, and yeah. killing one of them mm-hmm. I thought yeah, I thought yeah. that was fantastic Yeah yeah did anyone think um about did anyone look at Troughton closely was he was he still being quirky eccentric or had he by then settled into the role as the the doctor as we know the second
1: doctor to be so, so, my view on this is is largely yes. I mean, largely it, it feels like uh, um, the, the the second doctor you're expecting. There's there's the odd sequence where they uh, so so just following the you know, when they're given twenty four hours to sort things out, he starts running around the control room, pulling off people's shoes and snipping off bits of trouser, mm. which which is I guess is is a harking more back to the more manic Troughton from. Early episodes, mm. but it seems fairly well contained within that short sequence.
0: Yes, doesn't he do something similar in episode three, sabotaging the Cybermen? Isn't there something which we miss? Yeah, you're,
1: you're, you're right. He's so, he's sort of yes, he's sort of skulking yes. around, isn't he, mm. in the patrol room?
0: It's, yes, it's um, it's I don't know. It's hard to tell because it's. I see he's got that fantastic the fantastic speech. That we were just lampooning earlier, um, yeah. the, the Some Corners of the Universe one, which is absolutely often cited as the the archetypal travel speech, and mm. it's yeah he's not as manic as in some, and yet he's not as obviously manipulative mm. and pulling strings as in some of the some of the later stuff, you know, and, and you know when yeah you know, he's he's kind of yeah you know, that I guess McCoy esque thing. But yeah, you know, well, it's more that McCoy was troughton esque in terms of he you yeah. know you know, fooling around while while actually having darker purposes. Yes, he ha- he has settled into it, but I wouldn't say it's the I wouldn't say it's the most interesting Troughton performance. You know, it's it's more on a par with when he's arguably got got into a into something of a it's not it's not fair to say a rut, but a um but fa- found his groove and he's not particularly Pushing beyond it in season six, I think, quite often, mm. with a couple of exceptions. You put him up against um, Tobias Vaughn or you know, and, and in the war games, that's a different kettle of fish because it gives him something to get stuck into. But, but a lot of those mm. other, other ones, i have he appears to be coasting somewhat,
1: sure. So, 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 the I guess how, how I felt felt about it was it's not as interesting a performance as perhaps Evil of the Daleks episode two, the extant one, where. Mm. You, you, He's he's wandering around with Jamie and trying to suss out the the sort of strange dimensions of the uh, of the shop uh, also that the the some corner speech is quite underplayed I mean it is it is quite good you know so and, and I can see why people have, have used that as as his sort of trademark but it it's it's not played up in the way that uh, that he knew who, who it would be he's it, it, not sort of declaiming it or making a it is manifesto it's it, it, it's almost a it's almost thrown away you know it's it, not an
0: it, 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 uh, iconic moment in capital letters just well, it's <laughs> not stick this on a t-shirt, t-shirt is you bastards oh i was gonna say that i was gonna say it's his oh, it's t-shirt so, it's moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no I, I i i i think you're right he he hadn't quite hit his groove but maybe that was the first time you saw him he he rocks up at a base under siege and it's sort of i'm gonna keep a low profile and act the clown and you underestimate me at your peril mm. sort of thing. Yeah.
0: One other interesting thing that um came up that slightly relates to that in episode three and then it's it's just a bit of a throwaway line that the um that you have the, the thing when he when he first confronts one of the Cybermen and the Cyberman says you are known to us which Yes.
1: Is, indeed.
0: Which is interesting. So you know and let's not get into the Minutiae of cyber chronology, but um, presumably the intent of the time when things were simple and they hadn't, they hadn't had any past, you know, they hadn't, it's not that like they've written any others in, then clearly the intent is that the, these cybermen are out for revenge from what happened at the North Pole in 1986 and that they remember the Oxford and that. That's
1: true.
2: Could be they recognised the TARDIS on the surface of the moon as well.
0: Ooh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a thought. I mean I I'm, I'm gonna wreck on it and say they remember him from Invasion because that's, well, that's yes, exactly. That's, that's sort the, of set that's the obvious before. But, but, thing that we but do But I in, agree with you.
0: In retrospect, yeah. But... but Jerry
1: Davis can't have known that when he wrote it, you're right.
2: Mm. So So, so th- yeah. So whether whether
1: Cybermen can spot that um yeah, that Patrick Trouton is the same as William Martin was uh, questionable. Mm,
2: talking, yeah. of, talking of talking writers, did you spot Victor Pemberton? Oh, yes. Mm. One of the non-speaking scientists. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he had a bit of a dream life in Doctor Who, didn't he? Mm. Got to star in an episode, uh, he did some script editing, and then he wrote an entire story, so yeah. lived the dream.
1: Yeah. Indeed, Yeah, yes. I, I remember seeing Victor Pemberton in, um, I think... Mid to late '80s, at one of the um, conventions, mm. I went to, and um, I mean, he was he was very enthusiastic about a '60s Doctor Who. You know, he, he mm. was um, he was definitely uh, a you know a fan as well as as a um, contributor, or or at least he was bigging up the the era that he was involved with. Anyway,
0: mm. yes, yeah, it's a lovely chap, as I remember from my um, mm. brief encounters with him. That's Oh yes, talking of supporting cast, can I um, can I have a shout out for Patrick Bar because he absolutely yes. as Hobson he absolutely yeah you know, I th- I think he really he holds this together yeah you know, he's yes he's arguably I was looking on IMDb and he's he's arguably kind of guest star casting in terms of he'd had a he'd had a big old career you know dozens of movie credits some of them some of them in fairly big movies and you know he'd done quite a lot of TV stuff. 4000s apparently he sort of became more of a star through the tv and then leveraged that further into into his movies but he's just um yeah he's just just what you want he, he lends it some real but well, some realism you know i think some mm. you can believe in him as a character and i think he helps to sell the whole setup of the moon basins and mm. everything in a way that some lesser actors might not have um then again, I'm trying to think who didn't because they, you know, they have a fairly obviously there's <laughs> there's a good trout and tradition of um of base yeah. base commanders running all the way through, and I suppose that you know they they got some fairly fairly good heavyweights in to to often play those roles, but um, but still, I think he's one of the best. Um,
1: yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I think if he, if he didn't have him, it would uh, it, it would be a harder sell for mm. the story. And he's
0: not he's not he's not happily not burned by spandex or, or any of the stuff that they put some of the later ones into. <laughs> it's uh yes, I guess it's a little bit before the um I guess sixty seven um we're already sixty seven, aren't we? So it's it's a little bit yeah. it's a little bit before the whole thing goes off bars and the and the um and that that kind of sixties slight over design really. Mm. really takes off and starts to penetrate into into the rest of it mm.
1: what one sense of disappointment I had was um uh, having read the target book that Simon was referring to uh, Jerry Davis, it both in this and the tenth planet he's very insistent on the fact that cyber ships are cigar shaped mm. um, uh, uh, and and then uh, we see these ones in the moon base, and they're anything but they just sort of, you know, boxed down the flying saucers, really. Yes.
2: Mm. Mm. He used to like giving them names as well, didn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, so maybe this was him um, uh, being a bit more imaginative in the mid-70s. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, a couple of other things I, I picked up on that I thought were um, slight, slightly odd in retrospect, but or, or slightly... Mm-hmm. It's just like I mean, it's, it's only poking holes in the plot for the sake of it. But I thought it was yeah. it was a bit odd that when they when the released spaceship is supposed to be coming from Earth, oh yes, and, um, and Hobson, Hobson is quite confident that they'll be capable of blasting the sidemen ship to Kingdom Come. And you think, hang on, why are they coming? <laughs> why are they coming armed? Is this some, hmm. is this routine? It seems slightly odd in the um, in what they're ostensibly selling as a yeah. a fairly realistic hard sci-fi ish. Yeah. future i
1: guess it's also rather brilliant that, they, that they, they go from being a possibility to being um almost certainly on their way to being a 15 minutes away in the course of about five minutes of dialogue
0: yeah. oh yes yeah, yeah. well that's, um but um yeah, I, yeah. I do rather i do rather like the um he has something rather similar in intense, intense planet of course now i think about it but the stranded astronauts where they do where they do play it up a bit more but the the, you know, the idea yes. of using the magnetron to put them on a collision course with the sun that they won't be able to get out of in you know, you mm. know, even though it's going to take them weeks to get close enough to die but they're just on a yeah you know, they're just doomed mm. it's actually um quite a um neat and rather horrible concept yeah. but um albeit with a yes obviously with a lot of what ifs hmm
1: The weather seems very volatile on earth as well doesn't it i mean it it seems like they only have to be to um, uh, be off for about five seconds and suddenly there's a hurricane flying into america Mm. Um, i I mean i don't know how quite how fast those winds are but they seem to um, cover vast distances in a very short period of time
0: Mm, true
1: that was another
2: plot thing I i thought about i mean with the weather being that volatile, why didn't the Cybermen just destroy the Gravitron? Yeah, and let the weather run wild. Hmm. We would better be careful what we say about the Gravitron, because Trump will want to build one, won't he, on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs>
0: yes. I was gonna say I was, um, I'm not sure whether this slipped past me on my viewing. Did they actually? Did they actually talk about? Obviously, they they talk about weather control, but do they? Do they have a reason why the weather is out of? Do they actually point out that the natural weather cycle is out of hand and uh, needs needs their intervention?
1: No, I mean I, my assumption is that having unnaturally controlled it, that if they stop doing it, it's going to there's going to be a problem. But but it's mm. hard to imagine that that's going to be within seconds. You'd have thought that it would take hours mm. or even day, days for that to to really yes, play out. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. Mm. This is a complete, complete sideline. Side but while I was reading up, I was just vaguely having a look at, um, you know, while I was thinking about, okay, what are the sources of this? And I did, I did go looking vaguely for, okay, had anyone proposed weather control technology like this and so on? And mm. I did, I didn't really find anything to back it up. But I did learn <laughs> learn about an amazing thing called Operation Popeye, which the Americans used in Vietnam. Right. And right at about this time, actually in '67, uh, which was a, an attempt to seed clouds and prolong the prolong the monsoon season to mm. uh, to harm the North Vietnamese supply lines and so on. And so, and sure. apparently, when it, when news of this came out in the '70s, there's an, there is now an official legal, you know, there's like an international treaty outlawing the use of weather modification in warfare.
2: Okay. You can still use bullets and bombs and landmines but you can't play around with the weather No, no. That's <laughs> underhand
1: isn't it You'd think that Kit Peddler you who know, was hired for, for his scientific knowledge you know, must mm. have had some kind of a hand in this so for, it must have made sense to him that somehow a, a gravity beam could do something
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's they're talking about the tides. You know, they, they kind of go. The tides control the weather, so they're controlling. They're actually manipulating the tides. Is the Yeah. Is, is the the scientific fig leaf they they put on it? And you know, and uh, it's it's hard to tell. I, I never know quite what to think about Gitbaddler because it's yeah, <laughs> from <laughs> from um, from a certain point of view, as someone who was built up as having having these scientific credentials and but I'm not sure how much of that really comes from comes more from the the sort of the that you know, the the early years of fandom that we all kind of suckled on in the seventies and eighties, whether there was this this urban legend built up Mm. that oh Kit Peddler was brought in to have hard science or whether that was what Jerry Davis subsequently said. Because um Mm. because yeah, I mean he didn't half write a lot of science <laughs> in <them laughs> into his stories oh, uh. but then then I find it you know obviously as someone who does science as their day job mm. writing about science at any rate you know I, I kind of on reflection I think well maybe he just had the maybe he just took the same attitude that I take towards science in dr Who which is yeah this would be a cool idea for a story and it's you know we can dress up a mm. we can yeah we can put a pseudo-scientific fig leaf on it and I'm not going to you know I'm not going to get my knickers in a twist about it particularly mm. if the um except in egregious circumstances and even if the moon does turn out to be an egg then I'm not going to um mm. necessarily get you know <laughs> I think my my annoyance is the whole moon being an egg thing it's just like it's just like you could have you could have put in another two lines of equally pseudo-scientific nonsense and it would have made sense on its um you know, on its own terms, yeah. You, know, you only needed to sort of add another little bit, but, but yeah. So I wonder whether Jerry Davis actually, oh sorry, Kip Pedler rather had had that kind of attitude of yeah, mm. who yeah, you know, who really cares about the sciences? Yeah, you know, we'll use that as an idea for some doing some cool stuff, and then has subsequently had this thing of being this master of hard science. Yeah. Set upon him when when the it's reputation doesn't really rather like Bibmead again yes although Bibmead sure. it, very much did that to himself
1: yes it's, it, it oh gosh that's a very day the Daleks don't you see you did it yourself um, <laughs> so um, yeah I, 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 I kind of feeling Charles that you've 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 uh, you've been cruelly overlooked as as the scientific genius behind modern Doctor Who I mean if, <laughs> if, 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 if only they if only they'd brought you in why didn't they ask Evans so, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah Oh well.
0: Hmm. Well, maybe it's not too late, Chibnall. Yeah. If you're out there, we know we know <laughs> you're listening.
1: Yes,
2: <laughs> I'm available. Of course,
1: Simon, you got any uh, other observations you wanted to make about Moonbase?
2: No, it, it, I. I think it's a. It was a far more plausible Moonbase than in the Sea to Death. I think as well. I think char Charles can do the science much better than me and the astronomy, but i I thought it was a very convincing setup they had in the moon base um seeds of death is great with the ice warriors and some of the doctor's lines, but he, you know they could have had that base anywhere, I think mm. but this is very much a moon set story mm. Mm.
0: yes, yeah, I'd agree with that i can't i well, it is so long since I've seen seeds of Death, which I have to admit not not a favor of mine that I can't mm. um. I can't really remember all that much about the about the setup. Although it's as you say, I do recall that it, it doesn't make a great deal of being on the moon, except for the except for having the rocket travel issue. Hmm.
2: That that story has got my favourite trout and line in it, where he's cornered by the ice warriors and <laughs> says, oh, yes. "You can't kill me. I'm a genius." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the ice warriors look at each other and go, "Genius."
1: <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I've got one or two other slight bits and pieces that, that I, I'll, I'll just mention very quickly before we uh, draw a line under this one. So, in both episodes one and two, there's there's quite a nice little um, bit where uh, Hobson is is railing against the bureaucracy back on Earth. You get yet you sort of Rindberg, whoever Rindberg is, who's mm. the sort of bureaucrat who um, uh, is trying to tell them oh it's all fine you just need to keep going don't don't bother us with all this the trivial problems and um hobson's rather upset about that so so yeah that's that's quite a nice line and i guess um uh, characteristic maybe of the uh, third doctor's um uh, problems with with authority figures later on Mm. well i suppose earlier on we might say in, in in time but later on in the series um, I, I quite also like the, the juxtaposition of, of the doctor's medical quest and Hobson's engineering task. So Hobson says, right, we're going to go through the the, um, the gravitron, you know, line by line or or um, you know piece by piece until we get it working properly. Meanwhile, the doctor's looking to try and find what this, what the cure to this uh, plague is, and they, that's going on side by side um so that, that's quite an, a, a neat bit of writing i think you get mm-hmm. so you get sort of Hobson being very logical about his approach you know he's going to go very step by step by step and the doctor's a bit like that but he's also a bit anarchic as well he's 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 a little bit off the wall here and there too with some of the stuff that he does there's there's, a, there's, a, there's an there's an odd bit of design at one point where the um the uh, the astronauts or the or the, uh, the 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 moon base um, inhabitants are, are, are going onto the surface, and there's there's two ladders and there's two doors, and it sort of mm. feels a bit of, a bit over designed somehow. I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of nice for the camera to be able to look at two, both people at once. You just think, why would you put two doors and two ladders in? It just doesn't really make an awful lot of sense from a design point of view. Mm.
0: Yeah, I do think it's telling that the um, the guys in the moon base have the same spaceship um, spacesuits that they keep on the TARDIS. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it's, must um, must have been a standard design. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, since we're talking, yeah, and one thing where I felt the um, kind of either, either the direction or the writing as just as it's more of a directorial fail than anything. But the um, the thing at the start of episode four with the um, the infected chap, I can't remember which one it is. They revive to go and seize control of the um, graviton. Yes, the the idea that he just wanders in. Covered in veins and wearing a silly headgear, <laughs> and uh, and everyone else is just walking past him when they've, yes, yeah. You know, it's not that there's that many staff, and they know how many are in sick and they've lost. So it's, you mm. know, just, one extra person is suddenly there, and they all just wander past him, and um, there's a bit of battles about it. I think, but I, I think it's more, changing a direction than anything.
2: Yeah, it's nice how everyone still likes milk and sugar in their tea and coffee. In
1: yeah. twenty seventy yes. yeah. mm. there's the nice uh, line at the end of episode two as well where Troughton said but did your did your men search in here and you know okay, maybe <laughs> it's not all that well realized in the sense that there's a there's a huge great side of them with boots on lying in bed, but nonetheless, mm. you know that kind of thought of you know we, we can't protect ourselves from them out there because mm. they're already in here with us. Uh, It's quite good And I I said at the end of episode 2 Another solid episode Which is more than we can say for the bed Uh, (laughs) As Simon said It's rocking all over the place As Mm. the Cyberman gets off
2: off it um, I I thought episode 3 was the best one I was always mortified that was the the lost one But again the animation does a great job Mm. That that was my favourite episode Out of the four of them
1: Yeah, The animated Cyberman As you said earlier look terrific Simon uh, they they do do a fantastic job with that. Mm. Um, I, there's there's a funny moment I think where the Cybermen say to Jamie and Ben and Polly, uh, oh, you will remain here in in the sick bay." And I just thought, yeah, so you can plot against us effectively. <laughs> um, it, it, it it does seem a classic way of of um, you know if they if they stuck everyone in the control room where they could see them, then they wouldn't have to worry about them coming and squirting them later on. But hey hey hey, you know, but uh, maybe they were just. Uh, well, we they
2: could have—they could have turned the tables on the Cybermen. Couldn't they? Could have just hidden under a sheet each, <laughs> and disappeared.
1: Yeah. Uh, ben suddenly becomes a nuclear physicist and starts saying, "Oh, it's four million degrees." Um, w- with the uh, um, uh, nuclear power plant, we can't get the radiation to, to, to deal with the, the Cybermen. Not quite sure any nuclear power plant's ever been quite that hot, but. Uh, mm. like
2: Mm, and he's a bit. He knows a worrying amount about nail varnish as well. Well, yeah. I'm <laughs>
1: saying Ben, Ben and Polly must have paid attention in science. They're 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 mm. obviously you know um, keen kids in class. No, I don't know. Mind you, of course Polly is is acting as a, a, um, a secretary to the science guy in war games. Uh, sorry, war machines, isn't she? So mm. m- maybe there is some kind of scientific thing there.
0: Well, you know, and Ben was probably hanging out at the Inferno nightclub and experimenting. You know. <laughs> 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 uh.
1: Very good with solvents. Yeah, um, the 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 doctor's in a monologue also in in episode three. It's not quite so clear with the animation, but that there are there are there are points where he's obviously talking to himself um inaudibly, but we can hear it, uh, which you don't get t- too many other places.
0: That hadn't uh, occurred to me. That's that is a very unusual feature. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how that was how that was handled. So it's all really yeah. because you I'm trying to think when you ever yeah, I'm trying to mm. think when one's
2: ever seen
1: that before. Yeah. Mm. There's there's, there's a little bit of, of uh well clearly there's 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 a there's, there's stuff I think in the Deadly Assassin where Tom Baker is is he talking to us or is he talking to himself or is it just a voiceover? I forget. And not and, and also at the start of the TV you're thinking movie, of uh, a You're thinking
2: of Travis Bickle in um, Taxi Driver, aren't you?
1: Uh, so guns don't work on the moon's surface Uh, what do you think about that Charles (laughs) Um, (laughs) depends on
0: what the gun well you know um, yes what type of gun are we talking about well,
1: it's a cyber. It's a. It, it's a cyber. The Cyberman tries to zap Benoit, hmm. but fortunately, in in I, I don't I don't know if it's because it's zero g or or, or sixth g or because there's non, no air, but for some reason it doesn't do anything.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, that's
1: a bit of.
0: Um, They'd um a used all the
1: gas up on
2: their. Hmm. Yeah. They'd used all the gas up on their barbecue probably,
1: and the <laughs> gas lighter wouldn't work. Yes. Although that blooming the blooming big one. In um, in episode four works okay, except it gets deflected by the gravity, uh, by the Gravitron That's true. Yes. Um, yeah, and they managed mm-hmm. to blow
0: a hole in the. Um, yeah. Mm.
1: Yes,
0: they managed to blow a hole in the surface. So, yeah. hmm. different designs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Episode four, uh, the the Cybermen are very keen to say that resistance is useless, so they're obviously not great fans of Ohm's law. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: Oh dear, you've been waiting to get that one in, haven't
1: you? <laughs> <laughs> haven't you, Richard? Indeed, I have. I have. It's one it. of my favourite yeah. jokes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, 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 there's a very um, bizarre bit as well. So so there's this there's this character, Beckett, who is on guard in in, in the hospital bit. Oh yes. And then, so, so then he's crept up, Evans creeps up behind him and whacks him on the head. Mm. Um, which is... You know that's that's a you know it's a bit over, but that's fine. But then when Evans appears in episode four, for sneaking in as you say rather obtrusively into the Gravitron, he's wearing Beckett's clothes for some reason, despite the fact that if he were Evans, he'd have exactly the same suit. I'm not quite sure if he, if he somehow thinks that wearing Beckett's clothes, everyone's going to say, Oh, look, it's Beckett, yeah, that's no problem. Um, even though Beckett's guarding the, I don't know, it, mm. it, it doesn't really. I'm not quite sure where that's coming from. I yes, but, but this, is, this, to the is, this is a film episode. It's, it's it's not it's not a, a mistake of the animation.
0: No, no. It's, maybe it's something that's in the novelisation. Hmm. Just um, yeah. Just the last thing I thing I need to say on this at all is uh, it's only because um, I don't think we covered how exactly we first encountered these episodes. Um, but at the start yeah but, sure but mine was um, I have fond memories of this as being one of the first like classic you know Trouton episodes that I saw mm-hmm. going to the BFI or the National Film Theatre as it then was in I think must have been 1983 right. when they wow they organised a weekend of uh, Doctor Who celebration over the weekend which I think um, our good um, good pal friend of the show Joe Jeremy Bentham uh, programmed or helped organise, and um, mm. I was lucky enough to—I lugged my um, my dear dad into um, getting tickets, and so we went and saw three three black and white *Treating* episodes, random, all you know, all ones that were you know, some of the early survivors. So I can't remember which episode it actually was. I think it might have been episode four. Would that, right. would that have been in the archives at the time?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Two and um, four have always been. Oh, I mean, they—they—they um, they, they were in the the winter special as being mm, as having survived, yes. so they were around in eighty-one. Mm.
0: So yes, it's one of those. It's one of those nice ones that has a, has a particular memory. Attached with, one of my cl- mm. one of my first encounters with organised fandom, I guess as well. Mm. As a wee whippersnapper.
1: Mm. Yeah, and then and then interestingly, that right at the very end we we have the the time scanner and the claw, ah. which is you know precisely the thing that they recreated at the start of the Macra Terra rather than you know the rough and tumble section which they tossed mm. in the bin. E- e- even though it could be suggested that that is uh, frippery and certainly it doesn't belong in the Macra Terra. There we go. Hmm. Oh, good point. Yes, good point.
0: Yeah, this is a pre-title sequence. Odd. But of course, it's yes. It's one of those classic, classic things that the tardis has functions that can be just turned on, you know, like <laughs> as if this wouldn't have been a handy thing before. Or is this basically the same thing as the time space, <laughs> as the time space visualizer rebooted, or or something like that? Yeah, it's
1: a bit, like, a bit like that, isn't it? It it, mm. it um, seems to be a little bit less specific than uh, than the Beatles or Shakespeare, doesn't it?
0: Mm, yes. Yeah. Show us, anyway, show
1: us I, 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 I think we probably ought to move on if we're ever going to get sleep tonight. So, indeed, perhaps we want to talk about Smith and Jones.
0: Indeed, yes,
1: yeah. I, I don't know if any of you, either of you, remember the great western series, uh, Alias Smith and Jones. Oh, yes, mm. yeah, right, Pete
2: Jewell and Ben Murphy. Oh, that was it, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, good lord. <laughs>
2: No, occasionally, occasionally these things get rerun in their entirety somewhere on the Sky Channels, hmm. and they did they did Smith & Jones about two or three years ago. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's good. It, it stood the test of time. Hmm. I used to like that.
1: So I presume that's what um, RTD was riffing on when he came up with this title.
0: Well, alas, Smith & Jones actually ran for much longer.
1: I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah, that's true. Yes. Which I was also quite fond of.
2: Hmm. Dear old Mel Smith, I'll um, I'll send you both the ladies' football sketch from Smith and Jones one
1: day. Yeah. <laughs> Although, of course, the last Smith and Jones was itself a a, a a play on Alias Smith and Jones.
0: It was, yes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway. Yes.
1: Moving on. Who wants to 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 start us off with with Smith and Jones?
0: Well, I'll I, I guess I'll I'll have a go. I like it. I think it's one of one of RTD's more accomplished. Season openers. It's obviously it retreads a lot. It's funny, you know, coming to this having having looked at Rose earlier in this project, and obviously you can't help but make comparisons across to that as much as you would towards the moon base I feel like yes, it, it's it's funny because it's a. I can see the criticism that oh we've seen this all before in terms of the family setup and you know how how we get to introduce our character and so on. But you know, I, I feel like it's a lot more assured. They have a better idea of what they're doing. And it's a it's a more interesting story than it's years since I've seen um seen the um the fourth Series four one. What's the what's the season four? Series four? Uh opener? Partners in Crime, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's years since I've seen that. So but I mean I think certainly comparing it to the the Two Billy Piper series openers, it's you know, it's it's good. I think it functions well, does a lot of fun stuff to enjoy. It's got more of a yeah, it's got more of a plot to it than Rose, for instance. And yeah, it's it's just a it's a good old romp, but it's it doesn't go too far down the it manages to have some drama in it as well, without it doesn't it doesn't entirely fall down the down the sort of do a slapstick, virtually slapstick season opener thing that's you know, you could say New Earth um, to some extent does and partners in crime. I don't know, I don't feel there's all that much um to it. Uh, you you may be relieved to you may be relieved to know after my Panegyric towards towards gridlock and quite how layered and, and depth, <laughs> you know, quite how much depth that thing packs into it. Um, yeah. you know, I I feel that like this is, it is somewhat a case of what you see is what you get. Hmm. But I don't think that's necessarily a problem. You know, in a se- in a series opener, it's quite visually effective with a, with the with a few exceptions that will, yeah, you know, a few grating moments that we'll come on to next. I am a quite a big fan of Freeman Adjuman and Martha I find her mm-hmm. character far more appealing to me than than Rose she seems more and more grounded you know someone, someone I find more relatable much as I, I sympathise with those who say you know, it's a shame they landed there with the unforgiving romantic subplots mm. but yeah so, so I've you know, quite quite a lot of time for it I wouldn't say it's it's not it's not one of my absolute favourites from series 3 which I I feel like series three, with a couple of the bumps along the way, is is an escalating curve towards you know like the, the last six episodes in a row mm. are my absolute pinnacle of modern Doctor Who. I'll take that, last of the Time Lords Um <laughs> So it's not it's not up it's not up there entirely, but I I, I think it's good. It's, yeah. Mm. Well, that's no. so I'm Joel, yeah.
2: Simon, Charles, yeah, I I'm very fond of the Martha character and, and framer as well but <laughs> did you did you think they were they were scared to make a completely clean break from the rose character because on the one hand this is a this is a trainee doctor and someone thinks we need to you know we need to upgrade rose a bit and have someone who's a bit you know don't mean to be mean to rose but someone who's a bit cleverer as a companion but at the same time they kept the, the family hmm. baggage as well and um, Martha's a sort of girl next door character, like Rose as well, because in those early series, you, you had that nice, really nice contemporary feel that these were these were real people, both Rose and and Martha. So Martha was, she's almost like a Rose clone, but but she had to play this, this clever trainee doctor as well. I'm never sure she quite managed. She was allowed to quite pull that off. I don't know what you felt.
0: Hmm. Well, you can. Yeah, I guess you can see that if it isn't folk don't fix it, you know, and that that worked throughout R era, but then it's it's what he it's what he does. I'm not sure he'd have even wanted to have you've only got to look at some of his more recent work, you know, years and years and so on. He's you know, he's he's all about doing these families and relationships and so on. So it's I feel like there's a through line there and it's yeah, it would be off him not to not to be wanted to go down that that particular route, although, you know, it's mm-hmm but yeah it's it's interesting to see because I, I was thinking about this earlier and I, I think in some ways it's funny that all the you know the, the dissing that Martha gets for the unrequited love subplot in some ways that's compared to what they did with you know with, with Billy and Rose Martha's subplot is something that feels much more actually much more appropriate to a modern. it's not as if it, if it hadn't happened after Rose came along the idea that the companion's a little bit in love with the Doctor but the doctor doesn't reciprocate just because he's the doctor is a perfectly good kind of um paradigm for modern Doctor Who, you would say. Mm. You would think, you know, it, mm. it's got a bit of relationship drama in there, but it doesn't sort of trample on the the history of the character as you know, as being a you know, millennium old Time Lord, and you know, and you know, the ethics of him getting involved with with someone who is you know quite so
2: Puny in compar- yeah. In comparison, yeah. You know, the, the age thing, you know. yeah. Yeah, I um, Smith and Jones j- just like Moonbase before it. That that's another story I hadn't watched for a number of years. Mm. And coming back to it, I I remembered, thinking about what I what I needed to say today and what I felt about the story before I watched it. I remember the criticism Martha got for for having this crush on the Doctor. And then, um, lo and behold, in the story, the the doctor actually plants a great big kiss on mm. Martha, and it's almost, almost as if he sort of put a spell on her. Mm. And it's not really her fault. It's not. It's not. Not. So much, it, I mean, the, the, the affection's never requited, but it's actually the doctor leading her on and putting her under some sort of spell. So again, that's not really poor old Freema or Martha's fault. No, mm. no. But I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that moment.
0: It's full of this kind of romantic imagery. I mean the whole thing with with the when you know, there's that moment and there's you know, when when the doctor is um, carrying Martha's unconscious body, you know, staggering towards the window at the at the climax as it were. And um, mm. and that's know, I'm trying to think what exactly that is a that is a very much a take off of you know, but it's it's <laughs> arguably straight off the cover of a Mills and Boone Novel hmm. in some ways, isn't
2: it? Talk, it's that sort of talking thing. of um, talking of romance, does this podcast, Richard, does it go out after the watershed? Depends when you download it. <laughs> I'm as convinced as convinced can be that in the in the TARDIS uh, that um, I'm sure David Tennant says, "Fire up the helmet regulator." <laughs> 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 what's what's that all about? What's one of those?
1: Mm. Best Left of the Imagination, I think. I think so. <laughs> and the editing. Yeah. So, I mean, like you, Simon, I, I hadn't seen this. Well, I don't think I've seen it since it went out, which presumably was 2007, uh, until now. And, I, I mean, I dare say I may not see it again for another 12 years. But, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, 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 uh, um, I, I thought it was I thought it was decent. As, as Giles said, it's pro- probably, you know, the, the, uh, the, a good one for an opening episode. And... But yeah, it's, but it's kind of also a little bit forgettable. Um, so it was fun while it while it's going on, and then you maybe remember, you remember some bits about it. But it, mm. it it kind of fades away a little bit. Uh, it's a kind of nice mix of um, casualty or maybe Holby City and Doctor Who. You, 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 you you've got um, all the stuff in the hospital, and and I, and I think you know the the horrified reactions of everyone when they discover they're on the moon. I mean, whilst kind of overplayed, I suppose it is. How you would react if you suddenly found yourself on the moon rather than on Earth?
0: Yes, if um, that it feels like it's, it goes on like a few seconds too long for comfort, but it's actually it's a rare impingement of like yes, the, the like real experience, as it hmm. were. Okay, let's play this for let's play this as it was happening for real, showing Martha as being you know able to keep her head in that in that snow you because know, it has been pointed out in the past that. You know, in most, in most scenarios in Doctor Who, people would be reduced to, to gibbering wrecks rather than them, rather than swapping you know, swapping witty one-liners with a villain.
2: Hmm. I loved the Chadee, uh, and I think I thought they were terrific. Hmm. And um, we're, we're talking about Moon, and we're we're thinking about the Apollo landing. I mean, that was that was some moonwalk by the Chadee, wasn't it? Hmm. Where they Spaceships touchdown. I thought that was that was excellent. Yes, yeah.
1: that was a very nice touch. They don't seem to be affected by the low graph, um, but yeah, I know. But I mean, I like the way they march across mm. the surface. They've so. probably got Judon moon boots. Yeah, yeah,
0: that'd be it. <laughs> <laughs> they oh, they yeah, actually... platoon on the moon. Mm. Yes. Yeah, go <laughs> uh, Do they actually? I know they say that the, you know there's a there's an atmosphere bubbled around the hospital. Do they hang a lampshade on the idea of there being, you know, it also affecting the gravity? I can't remember whether they mentioned it or not.
1: Mm. No. Not sure. Mm.
0: But yes, well, yeah. Again, we can, yeah, we can make up whatever pseudoscientific rubbish you want to to justify. I'm sure. Absolutely. If they can transplant this hospital instantaneously,
1: mm. it's just as well that um, they they sort out all the problems. Just before everyone runs out of oxygen. That was, that, right, that, yes. I, I mean, I guess the doing legal process is such that um, you know they, they, they make a decision within the uh, volume of oxygen they they. they, they, yeah, <laughs> they <control. laughs> I mean, that that might
2: be a way to sort out Brexit as well. <laughs> yeah, that is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I think Mister. saxon has got the right way of sorting out Brexit. <laughs> yeah. It's for the gas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, it's. Um, it doesn't. I suppose it, it does play up the the moon, the mooniness of it to some extent. Not as much as you know, because these aren't people that's. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's a. They're in this you know terrifying isolation, rather than in the moon base. We've obviously had people whose whose daily job is working, mm. working there, and it's more into you know the moon is more. The setting is more integral to the story of the moon base, I guess. Mm. But for for all yeah. that its throwaway, I was going to say, you know, you get got a couple of very nice performances in there, Roy, Roy Marsden and and uh, the wonderful Anne Reid. Um, yeah, yeah. Is always top value. So yeah, yeah. So she's great fun as well, and um, mm. that gives it possibly more rewatchability than mm. than it would otherwise have.
1: Yeah. Although these days you can tell she's a villain because she's using a single-use plastic straw. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you're some actor if you can make one of those scary as well. <laughs> and yeah. she did. She was yeah, very she good. Did, yeah, she good. Yeah, I love Roy Marsden. I don't know if either you've seen the Sandbaggers.
1: Oh no. no. I have. I keep hearing people talk about it, but I Tim, seen it well. Tim mainly. But that's a that's a
2: fantastic watch. Yeah, Ooh. Roy, and and again, it, it it's all the politics and intrigue in the civil service as well as all the spycraft. So, oh, okay. Again, tenuous link with Doctor Who. Mm. Mm.
0: Yes, I know mostly from P.D. James adaptations oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Inspector Dalgliesh. Yeah.
1: There's a there's a couple of sort of doctor who staples in this so you've got static electricity mentioned you know mm. terry nation's favorite sort of electricity <laughs> I, 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 I and i'm sure russell t davis throws it into the plot because of for that very reason <laughs> you you've got this, this this bit of um technology that uh, that um the is it an mri scanner or a, or a ct or something like that, mm. that the doctor's using and then and um, he says to Martha, oh, "You just find out which button to press." She she whacks what looks like the emergency stop, but for some reason it does. It seems to co- cause it to burst into life. Uh, although maybe someone had previously whacked the emergency stop, and so she was actually un- unhitting it or something. Um, yes, yeah. Ra- something uh, sorry, r- uh, radiation. Sorry, is the other is the other um, doctor staple. Mm. Uh, so Tenant somehow manages to absorb radiation and 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 uh, pushes it into his shoes. Mm. <laughs> Actually, that's also another Terry Nation, isn't it? That's two two bits of Terry, it Terry Nation in the same you know.
0: If not radiation gloves, then maybe radiation shoes.
1: <laughs> radiation gloves, yeah, I like it. <laughs> are, the, are,
2: are the two of you both Tennant fans? Yeah, well,
0: yes, yeah, generally, yeah.
1: I, so, I think... I, so I am. I'm a David Tennant fan. I'm not necessarily a Tenth Doctor fan. I'm frustrated by the fact that he doesn't sound Scottish. Because it feels like David Tennant's always having to remember that he's putting on that accent, which sort of takes a layer of out of his performance. I, I, I mean, I mean, he's very good at it. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think it's that bad. But it, but yeah. I mean, David Tennant, yes, tenth Doctor, so so. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you, Richard. He's a brilliant, brilliant actor,
2: but he he sort of frustrates and delights at the same time, and he's the tenth Doctor. Yeah, he overdoes the it, it, I, I think Tim in the Tim in your recent podcast talked about Doctor 13 being high pitched and shrieking and, and when Tennant does that it really 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 great because when he does the sciencey stuff and he stands up to all sorts of people he's fantastic hmm. but when he does that wacky eccentric with the, the, the mockney voice hmm. yeah
1: that does great but he's good in this story
0: yes mm. yeah
1: and go, go, going back to our Day of the Daleks" from last episode, you've got the fun, this this funny thing where the 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 Doctor goes back in time at the end of the episode, but you mm. see it at the start of the episode beforehand. So it's it's rather like um, the the scene where the Doctor oh. meet and Joe meet themselves.
0: Good point. Yes. Yeah. Everything is connected. But it's mm. it's nice. It's it's a good it's a good little throwaway gag. Yes, it um, is. Yeah. Um, I'm trying not to let the M word pass my um, pass my lips. It's well where I have too, <laughs> too much of a tendency to just <laughs> necessarily go off um, go or go off and want to stag off um, a certain other showrunner who should remain Well it's delicate isn't it's
1: it's delicacy of touch. Yes. Um, you know, that that certain other showrunners may not have always shown.
2: Yes, yep. That's, we'll have to introduce a fine
1: system, won't we?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> a swear box, yes. Mm. It's, it generally looks great as well. I think the, the only thing that really mm. grates with me, though, is the, is the direction of when the, when the hospital is sucked up and, and has mm-hmm. and and disappeared. It's, um, that was something that particularly I thought, oh, God, that's just like... Shame they couldn't have gone for another take. The whole thing of them, the crowd at the barrier... You know, with Tish, hmm. you know, apparently looking at the crater, it's just oh, it suffers. It's um, I think are marks all over the place. They're looking where where they where they where they are. or are not looking. No one, no one appears to have agreed on any eye lines for it at all. And the <laughs> right. and the lack of reaction when when it comes back is um all over the place, really. Hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah odd. So this one was directed by Charles Palmer, wasn't it? Who, um, what else oh, did Son it? of Jeffrey. Yes, son of Geoffrey. Yes, what else did my one time stalker, but that's another story. Um, uh, yes, what else did, um, yeah, what else did he direct? Quite a, quite a few actually. Ooh, all the way through, yes. Oh, he did Human Nature and Family, he did Shakespeare Code, but obviously that was part of the same, right. same block. And then he did Human, Na- yeah. Human Nature and Family of Blood, yeah. Which I'd say a great direction. Um, yep. and then he did oxygen and these light in season oh, right. t- season 10 so yeah mm. series 10 hmm mm. it is what it is slightly dodgy shots can get through can get through anything but it feels like yeah slightly lots opportunity
1: so is this the first one that he did that your, yes your
0: yes yeah it wasn't his oh, okay. it wasn't his first um he'd done some of the inferior ITV Marvel uh, series yeah. I believe at least one of them beforehand and these Mr. Claire Skinner apparently. who knew right. who knew there you go Wikipedia mm, I suppose yes yeah Wikipedia knew yeah anyway that that brings the
1: info okay. to an end what else I mean there's an interesting parallel or a couple of parallels between these two stories so in one story, it's two thousand and seven, and the other one it's twenty seventy. Mm. Um, you know, it's the same same number slightly rearranged. Uh, but I guess <laughs> more importantly, I feel like that about my lottery numbers every week. <laughs> <laughs> we're re- reaching there slightly.
0: <laughs> so more importantly, uh, but
1: they have they they both have the same mad plan, which is they're going to destroy all life on Earth from the Moon. Mm. So you know, Anne Reed in this decides that she's going to wipe out. Well, I mean. Wipe out all life within 250,000 miles, which just happens to include the Earth. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that she's deliberately going to wipe it, but, you know, no. it's just—it's it's, it's what's going to happen. It's tough. If the Earth happens to be in that sphere, tough, you know, it's going to get wiped out, I think. Mm. But, yeah, in the end, the Earth's under threat in both of them.
2: That was impressive how she
1: could shelter from that in that little room. Yeah. Science. <laughs> <laughs> There's a nice bit of, uh, of sort of classic... Blue wire, red wire, blue wire, red wire, in there as well. And he eventually picks the red. It mm. seems to work when he's dismantling the, the thing that's going to explode.
0: Yes, yeah, indeed.
1: And one other little trivia in the, towards the end of the episode, Freeman's character comes out of the party, and I said, uh, "Are those the first tattoos on Doctor Who since Spearhead?" Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure they probably aren't, but they're 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 sort of fairly uh, prominent in the same mm. way that Bert um, tweets were in the shower.
0: Yes, good point.
1: Any other thoughts about Smith and Jones?
2: Um, they had, I, th- I think we we criticised series eleven for not having enough menace and threat. There was definitely air of menace to this one. We we joked about the oxygen running out, but I think that
1: cranked up the tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the Jejun are, are relentless, aren't they? Which which has its own menace, and of course the, the you know the real villain. Uh, turns out to be the lady that everyone has kind of ignored. So that, mm. which is rather a nice twist.
0: Yes, yeah. And then you've got the aliens for the planets of Irax as well. The, uh, the Snabs, mm. um, which is a yeah. <laughs> somewhat classic Doctor Who monster in terms of budget saving and um, Yeah. But you know, I guess they needed some other some other heavies in there as it were for, yeah. for some well, actual if you're casting and read. You can't really expect Well it could be. have been
2: it could have been worse, couldn't it? If it was filmed now there could have been delivery drivers, couldn't yeah, they? Oh good
1: lord, yeah. Well I mean I did I did uh, write down when as I was watching it, is this the Stig? As he's walking <laughs> into <laughs> the uh, hospital. But it turns out that you no, know, it's, it's leather all the way through.
0: This is what happened to the back
1: Some
2: say that.
0: Hmm. This is what happened to the back stig. You never see you never <laughs> see the um isn't it um, am I correct in that or am I imagining it that the 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 mysterious first series of the Clarkson, Hammond, May Top Gear, which didn't mm. have didn't have James May and had someone else in it, and I think Stig wore black. Maybe mm. I'm mixing it up. And, and it's the one that's never does us never speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: yeah. yeah, it's probably in somebody's it's, contract. Mm.
0: I think the long pauses are telling in in its own right. It's it's. It's a somewhat. It's not. It's not like the Moonbase has got a great deal of depth to it. I don't think it's not. It's not. Hmm. Neither. Neither of these stories is alive with metaphor. Put it that. Put no. it that way. I don't. I don't think. But you know, it feels like they. They both get on and do. Pretty much, yeah, you know, do their job, which in you know, in the in Smith and Jones' case is obviously, as much to be a you know, as much to be a seasonal opener in the introduction to. To a new companion, as it is a uh, mm-hmm. showcase for, showcase for Martha as it is, um, as it is to tell a, um, telegripping story, but I do feel you know this is a good case where you know good case where they managed to put off both, you know, rather than rather than having a superficial story. It's remarkable. I was just looking at the um, you know, looking at looking at the actual time tracks, and they managed to get the the entire bulk of the story manages to happen in about 30 minutes really mm. from yeah, from our you know from you know if you, if you chop off the introduction to Freema and the you know to Martha and and then the the party business at the end and yet it doesn't feel it doesn't feel rushed mm. and it doesn't feel like you know that that peculiar trick where you feel like they have managed to pack so much in and yet it drags incredibly at the end Mm. which is it's it's very well you know i think is it feels very well paced
1: yeah i mean i guess one of the things i thought as i was watching it was how maybe it's the economy of storytelling but how much is packed into short sections Mm. so so yeah i mean you're right in saying it takes a while to get going but then between sort of fifteen and twenty minutes, there's quite a lot of storytelling in there, and then twenty to twenty-five again, there's because there's the, a the, the big chunk of things happening. So, yeah, when it comes to the to the meet the heart of the story, mm. uh, uh, unlike Moonbase, I guess, which is very has a very measured pace throughout the you know ninety-five minutes or however long it lasts. This is um, is it, very concentrated. Yeah. Mm. Any any final thoughts, Simon?
2: I've After- I've ticked off all my points. I think it just reflects the disadvantages of the 45-minute format, doesn't it? Of New Who against Classic Who, when you've got four episodes to chew through. It
0: cuts its cloth. What's the metaphor? cuts its coat according to its cloth. In that case, it's not like it it doesn't overburden us with with lots of characters that we have to find out desperately about. Martha's family are very much pen portraits, now only really confined to the first five and the last five minutes. Yeah, of the show, and that's yeah, you know, that's RTD doing what he does so well in terms of illuminating, yeah, you know, in terms of just picking that out. And but then when you within the main plots, you've really only got Anne Reed's character, Roy Milestone You know, is there to is there to get killed, and mm. and the Doctor and Martha, and then a couple of um, a couple of supporting, Doctor mm. Doctor characters to um to really just act as a bit of a Greek Greek chorus. Kind of thing, and to you know, to just play, play, certain, play out certain stereotypes. So it's it's not like there's a surfeit of characters that we need to hmm. get to know. And you know, on reflection, you look at something like the Moonbase, and really, apart from Hobson, yeah, you know, all of the all of those, you say, okay, we've got 90 minutes. It doesn't feel like we get to know any of the other Moonbase crew as anything other than ciphers with silly accents.
1: I suppose you've got Andre uh, Moran out of um, the Pink Panther films, haven't you? He, he sort of he just about has a sort of half a character. Mm.
0: But it's not—it's not like we're, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a case where one can look at the moon base and say, "Oh, all this lovely character work," and yeah, and true. we and we miss out on this when we, when we no, no. when we go down to the forty-five minute format, which is often a, you know, um, <laughs> I take your point, Simon. It is often a it is often the criticism that can be, levelled against new who as opposed to as opposed to the classic series, mm. but it feels like in this particular case, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean Ball, it's entirely Patrick possible Ball that. His own thing.
1: Yeah, it's entirely possible that there's more plot in Smith and Jones than there is in the Moonbase. But what you get with the Moonbase, is that the plot is teased out, you know. Mm. Um, over the course of that longer period of time, and you get that sense of menace developing nicely over, across the four episodes. Mm. So, 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 so I think, even even though maybe it's a, it's a it's a trick, you know, and it, and, it, and there's less in it than you imagine. The fact that it that it unwinds steadily and over a long period of time helps the thing maybe to de- develop more in the mind. Whereas mm. with with Smith and Jones, it's kind of over and done with so quickly yes it uh, uh, doesn't have the, the same impression
0: mm. Well, it's true that the moon base is, a, is an exercise in suspense really and it does it does that pretty pretty well I think mm. the only other other thing I was going to comment about you know and I remembered that now with regards to the um, pacing of the moon base mm. is that it's is that it's odd that we have such an almost complete and again actually doesn't the same thing happen in 10th planet that episode three ends with the almost complete defeat of the of the Cybermen, and then yes. then they have to ramp it up again. It's it's a funny, it's a it's a funny bit of pacing really, and it does it does. I am right. It happens in tenth planet as well.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It it, it is almost exactly the same. They have that the they, whole thing with the radiation. I think I think they they finish him off with cyber guns, don't they? In episode three, then ah, the radiation yeah, is episode, episode four. For the... But it, but it, but it's the same thing in this mm. that it's you know it's 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 um, cocktail poly in episode three, and mm. then it's the gravitron in episode four. Yes. so they, they find two different ways to finish him off in both stories. Mm. It's
0: kind of like an eighties action movie. Mm. In that case, it's like the the, mm. <laughs> the henchman comes back to life just after you think he's done.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Fatal yeah. Attraction, yeah, yeah. I
2: think Moonbase, I'm could. i tempted to go away and dip into it again because of some of the points you guys both picked up. And I could probably dip into that any time. Smith & Jones will probably go back into the collection for a number of years now again before I need to watch it again, much mm. as I enjoyed it. Mm. It was nice seeing it again after all these years. But mm. no, it's done and dusted now.
1: Mm. OK, look, so one thing I'm going to do then is... Bring things to a close. If 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 you if you're happy that you've um, had a fair crack at both of those,
2: oh, I think yep. so. Yeah.
1: that sounds like a plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, thanks both of you for, for those thoughts on those two stories. Uh, another enjoyable look at two stories with a with a linking theme from from different eras of Doctor Who. Uh, so, something who has a Twitter uh, handle uh, at something underscore who. We'd love to hear from you, and we make posts from time to time from that account. We've also got now a YouTube channel. Have we? uh, Yes, I've posted a few segments from our episodes and indeed whole episodes. Mm. Those ones that don't get taken down because they uh, break copyright. And then uh, we've also got a presence on Facebook as well. Although since I know nothing about Facebook, that's somewhat limited. But uh, no doubt one of the other, something who knows a bit more about Facebook will take that off my hands and make a better Mm -hmm. job of it. But anyway, one way or another, uh, there's, there's a number of different ways in which you can get hold of us. And, and we would really would be delighted to hear from you, I guess both in terms of if you've enjoyed it, you know certainly we'd, we'd love to hear your feedback. But also if, if, if there's things that you thought were less effective or ideas you've got for the future, again, we'd love to hear those too. So so please get in touch with us. It'd be great to hear from you um, and help us uh, shape the future. So I think we've, we're settling down probably back into a, a, a monthly release schedule We've got a couple more uh, of these planned. We'll certainly sit down and do one with Paul when he's when he's uh, back from holiday and and, and uh, ready for us. And we've got you know one or two other things lined up as well. So yeah, expect to see something here on a fairly regular basis. Okay, so I think in that case it's goodbye from us. So uh, goodbye, Giles. Thanks for um, for coming along this evening. Ah,
0: yeah, it was a pleasure as always. So uh, yes, goodbye everybody and. Uh...
1: See you around soon. Uh, and Simon, thanks for for ending your hiatus and talking to us tonight about these two stories. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me back on board, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Great. Okay. Well, in which case, all we need to do is play out, and I think we may well be playing out to a tune from Texas to uh, not 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 the band Texas, but a, but but a, a, a Texan to uh, celebrate our other state of the U.S. that, that, that that's, that's a, a significant listener to Something Who.
0: In a world of
2: squares Maybe you're just round You can't be Everybody's cup of tea Some like the bitter Some the sweet
1: But, um, okay, so if we go once more from the top and through it, and then we'll. Oh, that was pretty good last stuff. time. Once
2: more. Yeah, yeah it,
1: it, it was. It's just in case there's one or two lines that need another go at. Mm. I nearly called
2: Giles Hobby at one point.
1: <laughs> 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 Great. Well, I, th- I think there's there's plenty in those two to get um, a good one, so that's excellent. I reckon.
0: Would it be rather fun if you um, followed up on the. Had the had the final line about does it occur to you that this, <laughs> does it occur to you that Doctor Who Fandom has come on a bit since since the days of Andrew Beach. <laughs> 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 well, there is that. Yes, okay. well, as much as I love Andrew. He's a he's a mate. <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been a but yes, it just occurred to me where you were going with the end of that, yeah. and I thought, hang on, I know the next time now. <laughs> yes. Okay.
1: So... Well that's an exercise for the listener, that.
0: Hmm, indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs>